Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I, I was uh, you know, on YouTube and I just recently saw your very first home run you ever hit. And there's it's great footage of it too, like whatever camera they were using in 92. Sometimes you get those weird broadcasts. It's a really great uh, video. Can you like talk us through your first major league home run? Oh, I, I, I remember where it was. It was in Boston. And uh, I got called up a couple days earlier, and it was uh, Camden Yards that made my debut. I got through the first game. That was a, I, I remember I didn't sleep the night before. Flew all day on a plane. Got to Camden Yards. Had a big press conference. Next thing I know, I was in the game. Got a base hit my first at bat. I ended it. I think we ended the game. Omar Vizquel was a shortstop. We ended it on a double play. And I remember going back and collapsing in my hotel room. I had this big suite. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. This is not like AAA. And then we got to Boston and I had a corner room. <laughs> and, and they just, the, the Mariners did it for my initial call up. They kind of gave me the, you know, red carpet treatment. Uh, but I remember going to Boston and it was like, wow, we're at Fenway Park. I've seen this on TV. My grandpa played here. Uh, and I just, you know, I was just surviving. I was a young kid that, that, this is my whole life. This is all I've ever wanted to do. I'm finally getting my opportunity and I just wanted to do good. You know, I just didn't want to, I wanted to do well and prove that I belong here. And I don't remember too much about it. I remember the breaking ball and I kind of got out on my front foot, but I kept my weight backing up and I just kind of flipped it. And I said, Oh, I think that's a Homer. And back then it was before the, before the seats were up there and you hit it into the net mm -hmm. and uh, they went and got the ball for me. They pretended like they didn't find it, but they, they ended up getting the first <laughs> ball for me. And, um, did you get a beer shower? No, I didn't. I didn't. But I, I do remember that. And, and it, to me, I, I just remember hitting it, knew it was a homer, just put my head down, ran around the bases because that's what we did back then. There was no none of this <laughs> pimping homers and doing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I got back in my, you know, my I, I think my teammates kind of gave me the 
no high fives, the, the silent treatment. Then they kind of piled on and said, hey, congratulations, your first home run. So that's what I remember about that. Uh, wasn't that big of a deal. I, I knew I was excited because that tape you're talking about back then, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't go on our phone yeah. and watch everything up to date. So that was one of those things where I'm getting on the phone right after the game and I'm going, mom, did you have it taped? Did you put it in the VCR? And she's like, yeah. Next thing you know, they're sending me tape over, you know, through the mail yeah. so I could see my first yeah. home run. So back then that was a big deal to get, to get that footage. But, uh, any, any first, you know, my first hit, I remember it was great. My first home run, you know, first time you get elected to an all-star game. First gold glove I won. A lot of firsts in baseball uh, that, that you dream about when you're a kid. And, and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough I got to fulfill a lot of those dreams. And, and uh, pretty good life. Pretty blessed life. High drive left field by the rookie. High into the pale sky and into the screen for a homer. Brett Boone with his first major league homer and the Mariners lead six to three. Ooh. Well a big big charge for the youngster and the good news for him is that he'll probably be able to get that ball back. It stayed in the net so after the game somebody can climb up there and get it for him and he'll have his souvenir for his first major league home run. Tell you, Brett Boone, he mentioned the 13 home runs that he had at the minor league level. I mean, he's put together. He's stocky. He looks like he's strong and looks like he may be able to deliver some home runs. Certainly does right there. Well, his dad, who was managing in the minors for Sierra, there's the ball. Yeah, that's one that somebody's got to chase down and put up in his mantle. First, he's got his first hit this week. Now his first home run. Speaking of your gold glove, what was your, like, day-to-day -day preparation uh, you know, to, for, for yourself out in the field. Um, I'll tell you it, when I was a young kid, when I was in the minor leagues, I, I, uh, you know, I was always hearing, you know, when they have the prospect reporter, they talk about you coming up. It was always Brett Boone. He's an offensive second baseman. He's going to be this hitter. And, and I always took that as, wait a minute, I'm a really good defender. And I worked really hard in the minor leagues at my, at my, uh, defense. I mean, I was out there for, for 20, 30 minutes a day. Once I got to the big leagues and got comfortable, my routine really was no big deal. It was during batting practice, I'd take ground balls for about seven, eight minutes. And that's all I needed. And I had three different, you know, I'd, I'd go, you know, forehand, backhand. I'd come into the grass and, and I'd have a, whoever's hitting the fungal that day just hit balls as hard as they could at me for about you know, five or six reps. And that was pretty much it because defense is, you know, I see a lot of guys working on defense and I don't understand it. Cause once you get to a certain level defensively, it's like, you know how to do it. And it has nothing to do with your hands or, or, or it has to do with your feet. It's all about footwork. Great, great field, gold glove, great defenders have great footwork. It has nothing to do. You hear all the time. He's got great hands. Well, everybody in the big leagues has very good hands. The elite players have the elite footwork, and that's what makes you a gold glover is you get good jumps, you get good hops. If you give any fielder in the big leagues 10 out of 10 good hops, they're probably not going to make an error. But the great ones get 9 out of 10 good hops, and the mediocre ones get 7 out of 10. And that's what <laughs> separates a, a good defender from a great defender. It's all in the footwork, and I worked on my, my footwork quite a bit in the minor leagues. Man, I love that perspective, hearing about defense like that. Um, you, you also had a double play combo. Who was your favorite, and 
and the the guy you love to turn double plays with the most throughout your career? <sighs> Let's see. Uh, Omar and myself were together very short short time. We both left Seattle shortly after that. So my, my reign in, in uh, Cincinnati, Barry Larkin, uh, oh, it was yeah. kind of like a magical thing. I mean, we really knew each other. Uh, not to get kind of weird because I always believed you worked hard and, and none of that voodoo stuff. Oh, I know what my partner's thinking and all that. I'll tell you, after I played five years with Barry, I, I started to believe in that type of stuff. I mean, <laughs> it seemed like it, first it comes with, with the middle infield combination. It comes with trust and it's, I can freewheel. I can take chances. I can take risks and, and make unbelievable plays. And I trust my partner that he's going to be there. And if I don't have to make a perfect throw, he's going to make a non-perfect throw look perfect by his footwork. So I, he, he gave me the freedom to freewheel and just try to make try to make every unbelievable play. Because I knew if I didn't, and I didn't quite give him that good feed, Barry was going to make it look like a good feed, and he was going to do what he needed to do on that end, and vice versa. He could freewheel at shortstop, and he could – make up stuff and take big time chances. Cause he knew I was going to be there and I, he knew I was going to handle my end of the deal. So for that five years, that, that's about as special as it comes. I'll tell you, I really enjoyed my time with Carlos Guillen in Seattle. He was great. Unbelievable around the bag. Um, so uh, those are my two, my two favorite guys. What's your opinion on the two strike approach nowadays in baseball versus when you were playing? It doesn't really exist. Does it? Um, no. <laughs> oh. the reason that the two strike approach came, you know, and I still get asked about it to this day and, and this isn't for everybody. And I, I don't, you know, I baseball, especially at the big league level, especially hitting is a very individualized, uh, thing. It, the mat, it, everything doesn't work for everybody. We're very individualistic. We all have to do the same things uh, when the ball's in the hitting area to be successful. But how we get there is is a very individualistic process. For me, it was two strikes. And I thought, you know, I strike out about 100 times a year. That's just the way it is. But I want to get more hits. So I came up with this two-strike approach. And it's a mindset for me. It's a mental thing versus uh, versus a physical. I knew when I get down on my two strike approach. I choke up on the bat. I didn't have to think about protecting the plate. My body language was automatically telling my mind you're protect, you're in protect zone now. So anything close, that means if it's two inches off the plate, I got to foul that pitch off. And I know that. Whereas if I'm in a three, one count or a two Oh count, that's a take, but with two strikes, I'm not going to let that umpire ring me up. He's not going to send me back to the dugout and me arguing Ah, that's off the plate. doesn't matter whether it's on the plate or off the plate. That's out of your control. That's it. You, you mm -hmm. put the, the control into that umpire's hands. So that's why I came up with the two strike approach was to set my mind, put my mind in a mental space where I knew I had to protect. I didn't have to tell myself that it was already automatic by my stance and by my choke choking up on the bat. My mind knew protect zone. And what I found out over time was I struck out just as much, but I got a lot more hits. So it, mm -hmm. it was a, I, I didn't cut down on my strikeouts, but I really uh, excelled from an average standpoint because most people hit one something with two strikes. And, and I went from one something to two something with two strikes. And, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but if let's just say if you hit 210 with two strikes, I'll guarantee if we look it up right now, if you're a 210 hitter with two strikes, you're in the top percentile 
uh, of the game because two strikes is just so, so against you. I, I, I wanted it to be not such a disadvantage when I got to two strikes. And I found for me that goofy stance that I got into and choking up in the bat really worked for me. So since we're talking hitting, what uh, pitcher gave you the most difficult uh, time when you were at the plate? And on the flip side, which pitcher did you just own and eat for lunch when you're at the plate? Well, oh man, eat for lunch. I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely had my guys that, that I, I liked facing. Um, but, but the question of who was tough, you know, I, cause there's a lot of guys that were tough, man. Kevin Brown, I remember in the day was a pain in the neck. Randy Johnson was a pain. Pedro, I did okay off of Clemens. I did okay off. That doesn't mean I liked facing them. Their stuff was still nasty, but I, I, I found a way to come out of there with a hit and it hit in a walk maybe. Uh, but, but I've narrowed it down. There were a lot of tough ones that I faced, but I narrowed it down to this, the nineties, Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. Cause I remember that's ingrained <laughs> in my head when I was in Cincinnati, we'd go to Atlanta and it was always Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. And I think to this day, uh, you know, I think there's a really good argument that could be made to the greatest staff of all time. And, they were three aces. They were completely different how they went about their business, how they went about their craft. You know, Maddox was a was a technician. Uh, Smolty was that more classic over-the-top fastball slider. Couldn't pick his slider up out of his release point, so everything looked like a fastball. Uh, and Glavin was the classic crafty left-hander, but had more velocity than, than you want. And, and the one thing they had in common, all three of them, is they could – they were so accurate with their, they didn't miss, they didn't miss location. Their location was so on point. And, and I got to play behind them one year in Atlanta. And I got to see that from a defensive standpoint. Like if it's, if Maddox is up there and, and Javi Lopez calls for a pitch away, uh, fastball away, I know it's going to be a fastball away. Cause, cause that's how pinpoint. So those are the, those are the three, th- those are my, that's my stock answer these days of who gave you the most trouble. Uh, as far as, as far as on the other side, I, I don't really know. I, I mean, the guys, there, there's a lot of guys. I'd have to get into the books and find out who I did really well off of. I know who I, who I felt comfortable off. But nobody in particular comes to mind like, oh, you know, maybe Swindell for a while. Maybe an Andy Bennis. Uh, I seem to have a lot of success off. But, uh, oh, David Wells, I wore him out my entire career. And then at the end, my last couple times facing him, I didn't get a hit. You know, because yeah. I'd be so excited, like, oh, well, Wells yeah. is pitching. I know I always do well off him. And next thing you know, he's giving me offers, and I'm going, damn it, it ran out. You know, Schilling early in my career, I had a lot of success. Later in my career, he came up with that split finger, and it was a different animal. So uh, it'd be interesting. I, I haven't really looked at it. I mean, if you, if you say a name, I could probably say, oh, yeah, I think I did decent off him. But for the most part, remember the guys that were really tough on you. One of my favorite home runs, though, that you ever hit uh, is off Roger Clemens. It's the one when your helmet comes all my the way off. My helmet comes off, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's like – If you look at that <laughs> tape, you know what's funny about that tape? Edgar's hitting behind me, I think, that game. And Edgar took Roger deep the same game. Check out the tape. My helmet falls off. If you replay it on my recoil with my bat, my bat hits the helmet. I didn't throw my helmet off. No. And then I didn't know what to do. Because I was five steps out of the box, and I thought, do I go get my helmet? And I paused for a second. I think, that, that'll that make me look stupid. And then I ran around the base without a helmet, and I felt, like, naked. I felt so stupid running around the bases. Later in the game, Edgar goes deep. 
for some reason, his helmet comes off in the same game. And I remember Roger sent a bat boy over after the game. It says, uh, and it was in a, it, it was a wink, wink kind of comment, but he says, can you tell Booney and Edgar to keep their helmet on when they take me deep? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of, it was kind of a funny thing, but yeah, very, very weird. I think it's the only, only home run I ever hit in the big leagues, minor leagues, high school, college, where my helmet came off and it was off Roger. It was great. You must've just had a fresh tip job too. It's a, yeah, I did. I did. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah.